Welcome to Very Honored Fraternity's Esoteric Nerd Podcast, episode 32, in which I interview Brian Dietrich. But first, The Lost Word by Brian Dietrich. As recited by worshipful Clive Reville, P.M. Whitman died chasing champignon, seeking grammar for God, a uniform hieroglyphic. American answers for Egyptian enigmas. Still, he found no stone, no Virginia Rosetta. Dead language, dead union, leaves of grace. From Humboldt's humble hunch, to Grimm's lout of a shebung, to Chomsky's mysterious miracle, we seek first clause, the name of he who names. And Adam? No. What logic was ever uttered in Eden? Do not eat, said the seraphim, do not partake of this knowledge, this that would make you obey. You should not know what not is not for you. Do not eat, do not, and burn with desire. Do, and burn with despite. Bethius in his cell, Socrates on his couch. Aristotle, Aristarchus, Beauvoir, Beauregard, all sorts solace in symmetry, argument, Artifice, art in the desert of the real. Suppose Saucer got rhetoric right. Here, look for where it begins, where the saying starts. Posit unknown from known, and watch the signs signify what you never intended. Publish what you never published. Argue what others only ever said you said. No. Begin again without yourself, with yourself only signified, referent to nothing. Imagine nothing. Argue even after death, after silence, always after that. Provide. Provide. Bakhtin knew, and Barthes, Echo, and Foucault. There is no general course, nothing but everything outside the cave, the lingering linguistics of longing. Velikovsky wanted something out of nothing, too. Wanted Jupiter, Dieu, Pitar, God, Father, this and Venus fully formed from his brow. Wanted it so much he made it out of math. Wanted equations proving the planet's pong. Spat forth from storm and eye, his imagined protoplanet zigzagged through our solar system, passing sister Earth, parting the Red Sea, dropping manna. None of this, of course, happened. Except it did on paper, on papyrus among the numbers of the many means of God. 
So, geometry also. Not just grammar or logic, rhetoric or arithmetic. There are always other roads. Remember, Escher drew us into the plain, made the stairs that take us where all stairs should go, bridged our absence where nothing becomes something becomes nothing again. Dimensions divided, angles arbitrated, hand-drawing hand, etching images of enzymes and ants, geese and gravitas. Humanity and infinity, the romance of reflection. We are the shapes that shake us. We shape the shaped us. But having no end, owning no original arc, we lose ourselves in the labyrinth, looking, always looking, mounting the stair, modeling Mobius, moving across the great girth of Earth's grid, plotting, rising, falling, always falling into formula. Finally, there is Mozart. Mozart and Drake. We could mention so many, humanity's long lineage of making meaning of the moans the moon makes, spinning seas up from darkness, spitting us forth, calling us home. Musicians and astronomers, all the madmen and the maimed, all trying to mutter the music of the spheres. Mozart plucked it down to play as performance. Drake made math out of why we might pluck it all. Mozart gave voice to the wolf, to the hour when the stars speak, when our souls seek anything but silence, everything as silence. Drake defined the size and scope of said silence, said likely we have never been alone. The number of communicating civilizations in the galaxy, the number of other souls, the sheer volume of possible answers to our ancient arrogance, our quixotic questions, the name of the name of the being who best knows God. Even if the number is a fraction of a trillion, the number of stars we see most close about us. This galaxy, this home, if the number is even the smallest part of 300 sextillion stars saturating the larger unseen scope of sky, all we know and don't know. If they too have planets, which they will, if they too have seekers, which they will, if they too have Huygens, Hawkings, Shakespeare's, Saussure's, Golems, Grimm's, Mondrian's, and Mozart's, and, and Mason's, which they will, they too will have sought all that is not, all that is. They too will have waited for the word, carved in bone, in sandstone, in gnarl and nice. They, too, will have hollowed out 
caves at their version of Karnak and Kalanesh, Jericho and Jeju Island, Turabong and Toposiris temples. Always temples to the word. But what is it, this word we seek, this emptiness nothing seems to satiate? What I am? What I am not? From Chauvet to Chartres, from Tantan to Berikat Ram, to Teotihuacan, nothing becomes the something we desire. Desire becomes reason to reanimate all matter that matters. Golem, God particle, golden record. We put our words between ourselves and that which we cannot name. Holy of holies, J.H., V.H., I.N., R.I., A.C.T.G., Seti. Letters, always letters on the face of the deep. Christ carving his word in the dirt. A code to keep the craven at bay. Cain on his knees at the watering hole, Washing, washing, a sign unutterable, A stain that will not but stay. A rabbi, entering the temple, God's name aflame on a tongue he dare not wag. And the temple at Karnak, a name spoken to bring back the sun, the loci screaming it, eternal in the dark, in pain, beneath the brunt of everything earth. And Yeats, turning and turning to nothing in his nodding tower, and Crowley, levelling law, and everyone, everyone, Bradbury channeling childhood from the stars, Melville scribbling spotless as a lamb, Eliot shoring up ruins, Rushdie and Lessing and Lovecraft and dear dead Dostoevsky. Everyone. Clemens to Clark, Dante to Dickinson, Faulkner, last man on this doomed dark rock. Einstein, Ellison, Edison, Morrison, Quill to Kinetoscope, Pumice to Papyrus, Gutenberg to Gettysburg, to Googled Glees. We have made our marks, made our signs, sent them sailing, soaring, failing into the night. What words? All words. All but the one we have sought. All but the right word, the one we lost before the rest. The name, the name of the one who made us. Laid us brick by brick, set us on the level, encompassed our corners, rounded what was rough, set square that which strayed, the one who tamped us. Tested us, smiled upon us, deep 
as the deepest temple. The one who beveled all that cannot be altered. Altar, Psalter, Stair, infinite author of our inner path, origin of everything more, everything or Article, particle, core, more, more light, at the centre of all, before that first, last, best disaster. We seek it fast. We seek it faster. We seek our master. Our guest tonight is the poet who wrote these words, Brian Dietrich. Let's get to the interview, shall we? Greetings, Frater. Welcome to the Esoteric Nerd Podcast. Greetings. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. So I, I just finished listening to uh, the recital of the poem. It strikes me uh, overall as um, it's it takes you by surprise because it seems to be it seems to be a reflection about other poets, and then by the end you realize that you've been in, involved in 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 a great poem. Well, thank you. Yeah, um, it's it's a poem well, that includes you know, other poets. Well, poets and writers and thinkers and scientists. And, Using the term loosely, yeah. Even mathematicians yeah. and, yeah, yeah, of course. All kinds of makers and shakers in the world, yeah. Yeah, but then it's it's tone, you're not sure if it's depressing because it's like everybody reaching for, it's like all the all the moths reaching for the flame and only reaching it with a spark at the end. Or, or is it inspiring because there's all these great authors next to Crowley and next to these great magicians, and then there's me, and I'm a poet too, and I feel the call and I resonate with this poem. And, uh, and, and, but yet, it's, it's both. I guess you, it's, it requires transcendence to really digest. Oh. Thank you. Um, I, 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 I think, well, of course, originally it was written for um, uh, Curtis Shoemaker, who was being installed as the master of his lodge there in oh. L.A. And and I, I, I loosely based it around the um, the staircase lectures, um, mm-hmm. the idea of the, the the seven liberal arts, and and so I wanted to to talk about humanities striving toward meaning, right. you know, at, at whatever level, whether whether we're talking about the invention of language, which, you know, we get into Chomsky and Grimm and that kind of stuff, or whether yeah. we're talking about, um, you know, more extreme versions of that kind of of understanding with later linguists like Saussure, and then, and then on to um, various kinds of inquiries into well, how we see the world and how we interact with our interpretation of our our place in that world. Yeah. Um, and and for me, I think at the heart of it, which is honestly at the heart of a, a lot of what I write, is this notion that we're always striving to fill an absence. Right. You know, and 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 that absence becomes the the presence of our art. And and that that really seemed to me to, to to connect to the notion of the lost word, you know that there, that there is this this if we could just get that word, you know if we 
we get that name and whether we say that's God or or whether we say that's um, inspiration, whatever we call that, well, what is that? Right. And that's and that's what we are, you know, molding, whether it be in 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 ink or paint or numbers or clay, some kind of simulacrum of of our our relationship to the world and how we understand it. Yeah. You know, I I have poems that are really sort of, you know, straightforward and user-friendly, if you will, uh, personal kinds of things and and much more uh, immediate, um, easily digestible language. Right. And I've got got a whole slew of, actually whole books of poems that are more like this, which are which are really dense and brick-like and and full of references. And yeah, no, it makes me feel like I need to hit up the local library. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. wow, I got I got about a third of these references. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I, you know, I, I like I very much. I, I adore uh, poets like Sharon Olds and Anne Sexton and Sylvia Plath and you know, those who speak from personal experience and, and talk very simply about their lives. Um, but then the other, there's another side of me that very much loves Stevens and Auden and Elliot and Yates and Hopkins, particularly Hopkins all the time, Hopkins, uh, <laughs> who are not, who are not easy. Right. Uh, and, and so I vacillate in, in poetry back and forth between those, those two things. And, and, I have no idea whether any of it works, but it it makes me happy. (laughs) Yeah. I like the idea of, um, you know, sometimes basing poetry on, you know, the Sephirot or or maybe the Paths or the the Sefer Yetzirah or something like that, having a format that's already kind of, I mean, in a way been done already, but I'm, you know, doing, I'm going to do it my way and I'm going to do it today and I'm going to do it, you know, customized to, to what I'm saying right now, you know. The five yeah. elements or something, yeah. Yeah, right, right. I've got, <clears throat> oh goodness, I've got an epic that I've been working on for years that's that revolves around the the, the tarot, and I've got oh, great. Well, the whole the minors too. Uh, primarily the major arcana, mm-hmm. but but then it's <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, all right. I'm just going to say this. It's it's that's the the formatting of the poem revolves around that, but the content is about the life, rise, and fall of David Koresh. Oh, so, interesting. So this this idea of you know someone who believes themselves to believes himself to be um, savior and and martyr and messiah. Um, starting with and, the fool or starting with uh, the world. Uh, Oh good lord! I have to go back to my notes, but I think oh, I, I, I go with. I start with. I believe I start with zero and end with okay. twenty-one. So yeah, yeah. So this innocent idea of oh, what if I could be Jesus, and then making yeah. it happen in the magician card. Yeah, yeah. And I even meeting the high priestess who'd go along with it. <laughs> I went for several days down to. Well, of course, I was I was living in Denton, Texas, when I started this thing, mm-hmm. and when and and then that's. I was there when all of this went when it happened, and I was watching it live on the news when the uh, uh, ATF surrounded the compound and yeah. and all of these things happened. And then, of course, you get these covers of you know Weekly World News saying face of David Koresh seen in cloud over you know all of this uh, right. stuff. 
and I and I saw this sort of modern myth in the making. And then it was a few years later I realized, oh, I, I really want to write about this. And, yeah. and so I actually went back down to Waco and spent several days interviewing people and spent some time with um, a woman who was about, I think she was 85, who was still living on the compound um, and um, had, and was a follower of Koresh and, and saw this as the sign of the end times and that, that the Messiah had passed and he would be returning. And at the same time, there was a woman set up in a tent at the gate to the compound who was the anti-Koresh, and she had all of these slogans on the outside of her tent. And, and so I talked to both of them, and, and it was just this, this powerful experience of, wow. of watching a modern myth unfold. Um, and that's, that's the kind of thing that, that I'm always interested in, whether it's a, a person who, you know, directly or indirectly leads to the deaths of 82 people or whether it's, you know, Superman who's created by two young boys in, in, um, Ohio who suddenly decide, well, we need a new hero because the Nazis are coming. Yeah. So you write poetry. Do you write prose? I do. I, I started off uh, originally doing both equally. Mm-hmm. And then around 1990, 1989, 1990, um, I kind of shifted and focused exclusively on poetry. And I, and I did that until about five years ago. I, I only wrote, really, I only wrote poetry and some essays, but primarily poetry. And then I got an opportunity to take a sabbatical at my university. And my provost said, well, Brian, you, if you're going to do something interesting, I'm sure that you've got to pick one thing because you're always trying to do 12. And so I said, well, if I can only do one thing during the sabbatical, I want to do the one thing that I haven't really done, and that's write a novel. Mm. So since then, I've written two novels. I've started a third, and I've written uh, half a dozen short stories. Nice. And I've gotten, I've gotten back to the prose. So uh, how can we find that? Is it under, is with the D initial in between or? Uh, well, uh, talk to some editors at a publisher somewhere and say, buy this book and then maybe it'll show up. <laughs> Dang it. So, so it's unavailable. So no, they're, they're, they're still so new. Right. Um, the first novel was, I'm going to call it my, my starter novel. Uh, it's now in the, you know, the first novel trunk. Um it's sitting and curing in the barrel, uh, to mix metaphors. The the second novel is um, with I think the second or third agent. So we're we're okay. I'm still, I'm still striving. Is it um, sci-fi or fantasy? The, or? the the first novel was sci-fi okay. slash horror. Mm. The second novel is straight up horror. Okay. Well, I say straight up horror. It's horror and sort of confessionalist life memoir kind of thing but it's all fictionalized so yeah so this the second book is is uh it's called strawberry girl and mm-hmm. it's about um a kid who moves to um memphis with his father who's recently been divorced in 1980 and begins to uh, suffer under the the uh, sum of various bullies that are um off the charts, you know, setting his hair on fire on the bus and that kind of thing. Right. 
and not that there's anything personal in that. Um, and uh, and eventually falls in love with a girl who um, dies, and then he raises her, and she becomes his avenging teen angel. Nice. It's kind of a Christine for the new millennium. That sounds like fun. And the short stories are they mostly horror or? Uh, uh, they are primarily sci-fi. Okay. Um, because I am, I'm a big genre guy when it comes to the prose. Um, so yeah, um, and and I've been getting really good feedback, but they're still circling the landing strip, waiting for a place to dock. Right. I've decided finally to. Uh, I have a a few other podcasts besides this one. So one of them is my uh, sci-fi radio show podcast, uh, The Coffee House and Interdimensional Odyssey. <laughs> mm-hmm. Little plug there. <laughs> but, uh, Great. Yeah, I'm, I'm slowly revealing a story that's uh, been over 20 years in the making, and so there's only three episodes up there so far. How wonderful. Yeah. it's uh, between And I, I resonate with that, too. I have another one called uh, The Coffee or uh, Gwydion's Astral Podcast, where it's mostly poetry. And uh, so I make it as unpleasant as possible. So people will just automatically turn it off unless they're really, really, yeah. really, really want to listen to my poetry, you know? Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's this, there's this huge, there's this vast chasm between what you experience with poetry and what you experience with prose. And it's reflected in the market such as it is. Um, it's reflected in people's opinions. Um it's particularly reflected in the, in the way that you encounter the writing itself. You know, if I'm writing a poem like, like the lost word, I'm, I'm very much lost in, in the language and the collision of words. And, and I can spend hours just messing with a line or two lines or one word, Yeah. you know, and I, and I, and I get pulled into that linguistic, um, problem. Right. Um, but when I'm working on a novel or a story, I'm pulled in. I'm, I'm lost in a different way, and I can spend hours just lost in that world that's been created. These characters and what they're doing. Yeah, they're they're very different writing experiences. But in, insofar as publishing goes, it's it's kind of similar. You know, I mean, it took. Well, let's see. I started sending poetry out to publish uh, in 1982. Um, and the first place I sent to was The New Yorker, because I was an idiot. Um, <laughs> and uh, and so I you know, started collecting rejection letters from them and everyone else on the planet for years and years. My first uh, sale to uh, for a poem... To the New Yorker was 2008. Hmm. So, 20, what, 26 years <laughs> later, um, it takes time. Yeah. You know, I, I started sending out my first book of poems in 1994, and it managed to find, well, you know, won this huge prize and stuff, and, and nice. came out in 2002. So that was seven years. So I figure I've got at least two, three, maybe 10, 20 more years to wait on the pros. <laughs> <laughs> if, 
if it's if it's the same sort of cycle, you know. Right, right. I mean, one is you're learning your craft, and and the other is that you're you're learning who your who your listeners are, who 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 wants to hear that. Right. You know, whether it's a poem or a story. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I guess with my my poetry. I treat more as uh, I took something to heart when I was reading uh, Jodorowsky's interview uh, in the book called Psychomagic, and he said you should write a poem every day. So I started doing that kind of as a, a shamanic self-psychotherapy exercise. And so a lot of it I would hide and, uh, you know, because it wasn't something I wanted to like share with anybody because it was just a outpouring of frustration from the day right 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 and uh and so then eventually that's that's what's on a lot of what's on uh, Gwydion's astral podcast so I I disassociate myself and say it's Gwydion so that's my pen name and and I always refer to him as third person because he's a very grumpy guy sometimes and I don't agree with most of what he says so (laughs) yeah I don't I don't disassociate myself with with the the writing but I do disassociate myself with the marketing right so i have this this whoever it is i'm not sure i don't have a name but you know there's there's writer guy and there's the car salesman right you know writer yeah. guy just writes shit oh that's a good idea Can I say yeah. That? <laughs> yeah and then and then you know marketer guy then steps in when i'm not working on something not really you know invested in the art and says all right now what do we do with this yeah um puts on a suit you know and like shakes hands and smiles and, yeah 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 that makes sense yeah, yeah because I, I i don't i just really don't think you need those two people in the same room at the same time right because because i mean it's like the know, director and the know, editor yeah yeah i as you know poetry it, it's not about money. It's a, it's about a, a passion for the language, communication and, from the heart of something yeah. unique that's never been expressed before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's 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 a whole. Well, it is kind of a magical. Yeah. Ritual. Oh, it's you the know, beginning of it's shamanic. I mean, it's all every religion has its roots in some kind of poet. I mean, yeah. some kind of poet, you know, rolling his eyes back probably on mushrooms, you know, like. Yeah, or or uh, (laughs) or gases from the volcanic vents at Delphi, right? (laughs) Setting aside the 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 drugs or the volcanic gases, of course, of course. um, There's there's the rhythm. There's the rhyme or lack thereof. There's whatever form you're working with. There there are the line breaks. There's there's the ritual of the 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 filled space on the page. There's, you know, the the attention spent uh, looking at, you know, in my case, since my, my major influence is Hopkins, um, how much alliteration can I get by with? Um, you know, so so there's there's all of these these mnemonic and linguistic um, patterns that become litanies that become um, well they they start shaping the connections the the, the the pathways in your brain, yeah, and and they direct your thinking in in I think extraordinary ways. Um, uh, the old minstrels. So that the next time you come back to the next poem, 
or perhaps even the same poem a few days later. Yeah. Um, you you at the same time revisit those same pathways or have an opportunity to deviate and recognize now here's a new path. Right. And, and I'm not sure how different that is from the kinds of things that, say, Campbell talks about in initiation rites um, in, in any of his writing, but particularly Heroes of a Thousand Faces. You know, as you crawl through the, the, the cavern to get to the... Um, uh, the, the, the secret vegetative ritual that's that's taking place under the earth, I, you know, I think we're doing it with the words. And word is a symbol. If you expand the definition of word to include all symbols, then all, every part of the initiation is a communication. I mean, somebody really had something to say and didn't didn't trust words to alone to convey it, and so they do it through a ceremony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The old minstrels in Old English, uh, before the what it was was the the Vikings and the Anglo-Saxons, their their endings and their suffixes on the words were so different that they just dropped them after a while of intermarrying and stuff and trading between the two cultures. So word order became very important. But prior to that, they had all those endings that made it impossible to rhyme all the time. Um, right. So they had they'd repeat the same consonant in the first stanza or the first line, and then they'd start the second line with that same letter, and and they'd have that that certain rhythm, and that became you know and and the reason why they they kept kept needing to come up with new ways of saying old things because you couldn't say battle or war you you know sometimes you had to say sword play to uh, make sure you right. had that S sound in there. And so, you know, right. and that's so all you, so already been, buried in our in our linguistic uh, patterns in our brain. Oh, yeah. We've, you, you have those, those alliterative repetitions. You have the, the strong beats for each line. You have the, the kinnings that, that allow them to rename things over and over, the kind of stuff that, of course, you know, Tolkien borrowed oh, from. Oh, yeah, and, and Shakespeare, the, yeah. Heavily, you know, and my girl writer actually, yeah. and <laughs> bearer and yeah, you know, yeah totally. Uh, or, or, or in the case of the actual old English, you know, wave writer and so yeah, those those are those are fascinating tools and they yeah. they, they cross cultures. There's a beautiful essay on a lot of this by Frederick Turner, who I I revere as as the great new modern formalist poet. Um, Nice. He wrote an epic called Genesis and another called The New World, and he's, you know, he's written all kinds of things. But he um, he has a controversial essay called The, the Neural Liar, where hmm. he talks about how these across cultures, there's a certain amount of time required for each line in poems um, cross-culturally. And, and that those times mimic the amount of time it takes for the brain to process new information. Hmm. And, and, and so what he argues is that, the, that, that poetry is actually, for, I mean, it's physically, biologically formative for the brain itself. Hmm. And, and that it, it so mimics the activity of the brain that it, it reshapes the brain. That makes now, sense. whether you buy into that or not, I love the idea. <laughs> yeah. That's why it's so obnoxious when people read their poetry really fast. <laughs> yeah. 
And you're like, well, it sounds good, but I couldn't follow it. <laughs> yeah. Or a good ritual is supposed to be delivered slow, stern, solemn, strong, all those yeah. S's. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, and, and since I do so much with horror, it's the same thing that bothers me about horror films these days, film in general, but particularly horror film. You know, I grew up on a steady diet of, of 60s and particularly 70s horror films that it's slow, creeping, psychological, building terror. Hmm. That's what I'm used to. Right. But what we get today, and I'm, and I would argue probably whether whether it's film or or written horror, it's um, it's quick cut MTV horror. Right. right. It's it's it's, it's uh, that's not how you. Exp- I'm sorry. I don't think that's how you experience horror. I don't think that's how you experience the divine. I don't think that's how you experience uh, learning. Yeah. Um, that's how you uh, experience an advertisement. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's basically it. Get, get Everybody else you, is just trying to compete you know, with the advertisements. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, it's insidious. Oh, not like the movie. That's the, that's the point, though. It's case in point. <laughs> oh, my God. One of the guys, the guy, the guy that played the scary old woman in Insidious called me once at work and, uh, he said something about a Insidious 2. He wanted to get paid for something. And uh, I worked at SAG. And uh, and I said, oh, they're making another one? I, said, I bet it's even more insidious than the first one. And he's like, what? What was that? What's your name, young man? I'm like, oh, my God, are you seriously <laughs> taking yourself seriously for being the scary old woman? And uh, Jesus Christ. A movie that's terrifying kids about the idea of astral projecting? Like, that's just, that's insidious. That is insidious. The movie is not, you know, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, there's so little... I'm going to sound like an old curmudgeon. I'm going to sound like <laughs> I used to make fun of when I started writing. Um, but there's so little that, that allows us peace and, and thought and um, the, the slow consideration of deep ideas. Right. You know, when, when my son was getting ready to, to graduate, high school and was headed off to college, I said, you know, if, if I could wish you anything, it would be to learn patience and, um, and acceptance, you know, it, don't, don't, don't let the video games and the iPhones and the, the instant connection to the internet, um, don't let the ether age divest you of your human qualities and 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 i think we're i mean there there are wonders of course i have an iphone and of course we have you know (laughs) we have you know all of these things that he does but but i grew up in a different age when when things were slower and i i value that and i think human beings have spent you know at minimum 70, some would say maybe 100,000 years developing um, brains that that work in one way. And we're now at the point where we're crossing the, the threshold into thinking in a new way. 
which is not necessarily bad, but but not I think used to it should, yet. Yeah, and I think it should exist alongside the, the the deeper, more contemplative things that we can learn from, say, transcendental meditation or you know Buddhist breathing or right. writing a poem. Right. Absolutely. So that's my soapbox for the day. I'll get off it now. <laughs> <laughs> right on, right on. Yeah, I um, I like, I appreciate sci- sci-fi for the same, some of the same reasons I appreciate poetry as a medium of expression. Uh, but with the sci-fi, I'm actually, I, I, I don't know if, I, I think that I consider my audience too much. I try not to. I, I, th- I think I do my best writing in a vacuum, um, kind of yeah. writing for what I want to write, writing for what I want to hear. But I want with my sci-fi, I want it all to be consistent. So the reason why people say, how come you haven't come out with episode four yet? It's because I'm not just cranking out episodes with that one. With the Esoterra Nerd podcast, you know, like we're having this conversation now, this episode will be up tomorrow, I'll be on to the next one. Um, but with my sci-fi, I, I take it really seriously, and I, I want to really craft it one at a time. It's kind of a long-term project. And at the end of it, if I do it all right, then I'm, I'll be ready to make it into some kind of graphic novel or something like that. But anyhow, yeah. But uh, but with the with the poetry, that's, again, I crank it out as needed, you know, kind of when I want to just let it out. You know, I, I, I mean, I guess there's exceptions where I really sit down and craft something poetically ripping someone apart or something like that if I have a reason to. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, quite often it's just, um, you know, a song from the heart that might, other people might resonate with, but I think everybody's song, of course, is unique. Well, it's... It, it... You know, there's there's at the outset because of where we exist in time and culture. At the outset, there's already a difference between what we're doing when we sit down to write a poem and what we're doing when we sit down to write a story or a novel. Yeah, or a screenplay for that matter. Um, and that difference resides in the realm of audience and medium and um, distribution exposure. Right. So. So if I'm sitting down to write poems, I know the audience is the smallest of the small. Right. I know that the audience is the rarest of the rare. It's other poets, basically. Well, by and large, yeah. And so, so there, there is no. I'm going to write the best poem I can write, and and I'm not at all concerned about reception. I'm concerned about it being simply the best I can make it be because I owe a duty to this service that I'm engaged in, this calling to, to, to speak the word. Yeah. But when I'm sitting down to write novels and, and stories, a lot of that is still true because I am who I am. Um, and I, you know, you can't take the Southern Baptist out of the boy, but <laughs> there's, there's this, still this sort of, you know, I'm I'm going down for for, for <laughs> uh, to the to the front of the church to to to, to express my sins and ask for salvation. Now, um, so <laughs> there's, there's a little bit of that there still, yeah, the calling. 
but there's also this realm where I understand necessarily that this is about, it is about an audience and it's about marketability and it's about other things that, that simply are no longer, maybe have never been true about poetry. Um, and, and so, so what I'm finding in this, what is, become kind of a new enterprise for me with, with the sci-fi and the horror that is in, insofar as prose is concerned, um, is that when I send it out to a person, whether it's an editor or an agent, they all love the language. Yeah. But, but they're not ready to bite on the story yet. So, so I don't know what that means. It may mean that I, well, of course it could mean that I just suck. It could also mean that um, I haven't found the, the, the right listener yet. Right. It could also mean that there is just this, there is a, a chasm and that there are, here's what I would like to believe, you know, the egomaniac in me would like to believe that, that, that it is what it needs to be, but the, the listeners have changed and it's not you know, the era of the new wave sci-fi writers of the 70s and early 80s. Um, and and we're moving back toward, well, we want high energy, high octane. Um, yeah, they want to push the action. envelope further and further and further. Like uh, Chinatown, they said, you know, she's my sister and my daughter. And everybody said, oh, my God. And now we have to we have to top that you know we have to we have to shock people more than they've ever been shocked before after they've seen uh the crying game you know right right (laughs) or any subsequent yeah right (laughs) yeah i i i think there's this i think there's a divide between you know you'll see editors saying we we want stuff that is that is good writing and we want character driven stories but when it comes down to it they also have a product or space that they want to sell. Right. You know, that they that they want to provide for others to create uh, need and want. And and that's that's never been a part of of poetry. It's always been a part of storytelling. Yeah. Whether you're a shop in, you know, Northern Ireland or whether you're you know, a screenwriter in LA, you, you've you've got a you've got this thing that you're trying to barter with and say, here, here's my gift. Would you like to give me some gold? <laughs> yeah. Um, with 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 poetry alone, it's it's more about here is my gift. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. There there is no there is no reciprocation right. except insofar as they may be moved by it right which which in my mind is probably far more valuable than the gold but that's not the way the world is well and it may shape the uh you know it may shape subsequent generations it may become part of future dogma you know, someone grabs onto a popular poem to stick into the new dogma when someone takes over. And, uh, you, you know, I mean, the word is powerful. Yeah. I mean, you, th- you think about Hopkins poetry and, and almost none of it appeared in print in his lifetime. Hmm. 
you know, almost none. Same thing with Dickinson, you know. So, what does that mean? You know, what they, does they, it they, mean? They, yeah, they, I, I, when I was, I was in a band in the '90s, and I was saying, let's, uh, let's record our music and convert it to MP3 and upload it to the internet for free, so everyone in the world will have heard of us, and the rest of the band wouldn't go for it. And uh, so I was always that guy, you know, and so I've got all my stuff. <clears throat> I've just recently decided to try to sell my dad's book. So I've, I, I've taken it down until recently. I was giving it away for free. But but I always try to keep the uh, idea of needing to please an audience in order to try to sell something out of my art. But that's just my approach to it. And I haven't been uh, pursuing art as my as my means of you know, income. I'm I'm jumping into being a yoga instructor and start trying to make that my means of income. Um, right. But uh, I try to keep my art kind of self therapeutic. And to me, I don't know if the word pure. It it, it sounds offensive when you use the word pure, but to me, that's sure. what it what it means in that context. Yeah. It's like uh, if if I started thinking, oh, how am I gonna get the New Yorker, for instance, to like my work, then it would just tarnish it. I, I someone dragged me to a, a Robert uh, McKee lecture. The guy who wrote the story or story, the book on screenplay writing, and I had to uh -huh. sit there and listen and, and listen to him for four hours. And at the end of it, I just decided I hated him so much it was unbelievable. And and uh, was just ranting and raving about how everybody's writing these canned stories. They're based on ancient Greek, you know, fifth century BC. Uh, drama, but they've canned it, and they're all just the same freaking third act surprise uh, underdog, yeah. Uh, yeah, becoming a hero and encountering, and uh, we all know it, it, and we watch it anyway, you know, just to yeah. see the new actors. Well, to be fair, I'm going to play devil's advocate to my own devil's advocate. <laughs> uh, um. I mean that's part of ritual too, right? I mean that's that's looking why, at all the sides, yeah. You know that's that's why we revisit these stories because they do play a part in our, you know, whether you want to say spirit or our neuronal pathways, right? However you want to phrase they that, they seem to. That or it's, it's just it's being really stimulated over and over, and it was implanted by someone, you know, in in ancient Greece. I mean. Does it? How far back does it go? The the Japanese have uh, drama, but they don't have the third act surprise. I think it might be a Greek thing. Like if someone was trying to deprogram themselves from whatever in Western civilization, they might want to be want to get away from that. I think that might be where like uh, um, not Bukowski, the other one, uh, Burroughs was coming from with the word virus. Yeah. Like uh, getting, yeah, 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 yeah. Getting rid of that, scrambling it up. Yeah, and then and then okay, so let's just do cut ups. Yeah, I, he's inspired. We'll, we'll he inspired write, one we'll of write my teachers. linear narrative, cut it up into you know yeah. a dozen different pieces, throw it in the air, and then and take away the um, wiki, take away the you know the power it had over us. And it, it's true. I I uh, my my one of my teachers was a huge fan of Burroughs to the point where he became a Scientologist just to see what where Burroughs was coming from, and then that led him to want to get into you know OTO and then and and Golden Dawn just to find out where they were coming from, just to really find out what was behind Burroughs, you know. But anyway, um, so he taught me. Yeah, he I'd write a poem and he'd, he'd read it and say, "This is crap. You need to change this to this and this to this." And so I, I'd end up with a, a poem called Fred and dog biscuit rather than you know the japanese monk and the prostitute or something like that and <laughs> you say you're it's too obvious you need to <laughs> make yeah, it up a bit i understand <laughs> yeah. well i mean that's 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 it is the problem right i mean if if you if you talk 
and we're doing it right now. Yeah. You're talking public <laughs> about about your writing being a calling. You, you you sound either like a poser or a wannabe preacher or a recovering southern. Well, not on I'll, this I'll, on this I'll podcast. We're all magicians. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, People understand so I, on here. So, so what do you do if if you talk about it as it's it's all about uh, marketing and money and and what your market share is and what the latest rankings Entertainment Weekly say about your film, then then you sold out. Well, you know? uh, now, uh, that's not so, to me. It's not a matter. It, to me, it's not a matter of selling out. It's just a matter of observing the emotional letdown that that results in. It's like when a woman is comparing herself to the cover of Vogue, and you want to say, right. this is the enemy. Don't you understand? You are beautiful. And that's what I want to say to a writer who's trying to, trying to get published. You know, I mean, especially since putting it on the Internet means that you're published. Yeah. I mean, you're being I mean, published I, I, right I, now on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah, and that's a whole other thing. What does all of this mean? Right? Yeah, what, it's what, all new. It's a game changer. What is the, the ether age? How does that? And we don't know. And it's and it's got yeah. bookstores running scared, yeah. <laughs> closing, mad, and and podcasts every, becoming millionaires, and Obama flying over my house in a in a helicopter to go to Mark Maron's garage for his podcast. I mean, yeah, it's getting weird. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah, it's. It's it's an odd world. Yeah. But I I I lost my train of thought. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking about DNA as the word because I mean the poem that that everybody heard at the beginning of this episode really gets deep into the meaning of the word and the meaning of you know and and finding the word that lost word and and I was thinking right. about DNA as the word and I actually developed a spoken language based on Enochian so you can speak the DNA if you search for my name Edward Reeb and DNA alphabet it'll get you there but uh. Oh, wow. it, it's pretty fun, but um, it, it, the idea being um, the DNA sometimes, like a, yeah, through the being or however you look at it, you could look at it as wanting to be marketable. You know, the DNA wants to be marketable yeah. uh, to other people. Um, right, right, right. Exactly. It wants to be the perfect DNA strand. It wants to be Superman. It doesn't want to be the, yeah. the nerdy guy over here that nobody likes, you know. Yeah, because um, it's, it's not just natural selection; it's also sexual selection, right? So, yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah. but then but and then to be fair, I should I should put in a plug here that the idea of DNA being the name of God is not my own. That my greatest um, professor when I was an undergrad, Ingrid Schaefer, who passed oh, nice. a few years ago, um, she did a number of essays and and. Uh, chapters and other people's books and uh, a number of talks on the notion of the, uh, the DNA as the tetragrammaton, ACTG is the, the four letters of the name of God. And that, that was incredibly influential to me. Yeah. And, and it stays with me till now. Yeah. And so then I, uh, you know, throwing in SETI and, 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 and other notions, that's my own, but the, but the DNA is, is, is really her through and through. She was a professor of comparative religion at the uh, uh, University of Science and Arts of Oklahoma, and she was ex an extraordinary thinker. Nice. Probably the smartest person I ever knew. 
the the way I've got it lined up, I've got thymine corresponding to spirit since it's only found in the nucleus. And since uracil takes its place outside the nucleus in the messenger RNA, I call uracil fire. So then uh, it bonds with the uh, the adenine, so I call the adenine earth. So I had the fire on top and the earth on the bottom, and then the cytosine and guanine, one's purine, one's pyrimidine. So I lined it up the same way that I had the other ones. It's called that air and water. So I make little sigils the same way that uh, you do in Hermetic Kabbalah for you know, out of the uh-huh. rows and stuff like that. Um, and then every different possible permutation of the nucleic acids is charted on each one, and so I call those letters. And then, um, you know, I just pronounce them according to the letter that's already been assigned to them as an amino acid, because why reinvent the wheel? But I pronounce it the way that Enochian is pronounced. So that way you can kind of get into uh, meditating on a particular enzyme, for instance, because they're much shorter than like a prayer, like a like you know the the shortest uh, Japanese chant is about the size of one of these enzymes that has a specific role in creating DMT in the pineal gland, for instance. So you can kind of really groove on what's going on in the DNA, you know, more more experiential and poetic even, and less kind of cerebral and detached way. So that's kind of one of my one of my uh, things, my ongoing projects. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. Wonderful. I I am far more deeply invested for myself in just playing with the ideas. I, I haven't, I have not stretched that far. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's great. It's but, fun. Yeah. Well, they, they, uh, yeah. the Japanese have uh, opened it up. They're, I forget the, the genome.jp. It had, they have the whole human DNA on uh, on there. So you can, I have a game and it's all, uh, again, if you search for Edward Reed DNA alphabet, there's a whole bunch of different pages. There's a memorization tool that you can use a four-sided die and just, you're just sitting there ro- rolling the four-sided die and it doesn't look like you're doing much, but you're actually re- reaffirming those those synaptic patterns to memorize the relationship between the nucleic acid com- uh, permutations and, or the nucleic acid permutations and the uh, resulting amino acid. Um, yeah. But breaking it down to just a sound. Yeah, wonderful. I mean, uh, part of part of what the poem is about is exactly that. I mean, it's the notion that. I mean, there, there are really three options here, right? It's There are real connections between what we believe and what we are. There are symbolic connections between what we believe and what we are. And there are uh, no connections between what we believe and what we are. Hmm. And, and I'm of the opinion that, that the first two are both equally true, and the last right. one can go, you know, take a flying leap. Um, so, so, so when I talk about, say, Velikovsky, you know, worlds in collision, this whole idea that Venus was spat out of Jupiter and and ping ponged around the whole uh, solar system for a while, passing the Earth several times once to slow its rotation, so you could have the passage about um, the Earth standing still. Um, oh. Passing again to to, to split the the Red Sea and and right. drop manna on the escaping oh, Hebrews. Okay. Um, Rationally I mean, explaining that finding finding an astronomical explanation for everything right, in the Bible. Right. So he's and, and he does he does all this math, you know, and he says here's how this happened and here's here's where it went. Hmm. And there's a beautiful section in in Carl Sagan's Broca's Brain where he actually goes back and checks. Velikovsky's math and says, uh, no, <laughs> this, this is not, 
this is not possible. It would it would rupture the planet. It would it would destroy you know whole worlds. This this is not possible. Yeah. But it doesn't matter in in you know in the literal sense. Yes, of course it's it's balderdash. But but in the world of myth, it's not the facts that matter. It's the story. Right. And and it's and it's what we. It's what we focus on, or as you would have it, what we meditate on, right? It's yeah. it's it's that which informs us of ourselves, and through that, the universe, or vice versa, that which informs us of the universe, and through that, ourselves. It's that's what myth is about. It's not about. I mean, myth is more true than fact in that re- in that regard. It's it's when I when I talk to my students about mythology in my college writing classes, I say you know there there was a guy um, named Martin Luther King Jr. and he did these things and he did these other things and some were wonderful and there were probably a few that were not so wonderful and I'm, I'm sure he probably you know sat on a chair and walked around a building and and you know did all of these physical things that physical people do. Right. I said, but that's not what matters. What 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 he actually did isn't what lingers in people's mind. It's it's what those actions mean to such a degree. They mean so much that they have erected this monument that you can visit, which I did a few years ago finally, um, on the mall at in, in Washington D.C. And 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 here is this mountain that is cloven in two and here is this statue of this figure and and I asked my students I said is is that statue Martin Luther King Jr. or is it the idea of Martin Luther King Jr. and they struggle with that and and, and the answer has to be that it's the idea I mean the man is is extraordinary yes well, but I the think idea someone called the man is, it, on the question, is, is, is not just extraordinary, it's eternal. Right. Right. It's <laughs> so much bigger than the physical, biological, temporal data that we could gather. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's the poetry of the man is bigger than the line breaks or the periods or the commas. It's hard to point to a man, you know, you could point to a brain and say, when that thing dies, the man dies, you know, but, uh, but what about, you know, how he looks in everyone else's eyes? And, you know, when someone asks me, is it why, why do you write what you write? Well, I can give you 40 different answers and they would all be true. To a certain degree, yeah. On a on a particular day, but, <laughs> that's yeah. why I'm writing now. But, 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 <laughs> yeah. but none of them are wholly true. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, is because I read, read Bradbury's something with you this way comes. Is it because? Um, and I just start going down the line. Is it, what what is it? Is it because you know somebody set my hair on fire and this was on the bus <laughs> when I was in you know seventh grade? You know what is it? Is it because I read Tolkien and it gave me an escape from the bullies? I I, I don't know. Hmm. Uh, all all of them are true. 
um, that that's that's a complicated thing, and that's what that's what poetry can do is is bring all of those things into a constellation revolving around a center of gravity. But 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 as you get closer and closer to that that gravity, you realize that it's actually not just a center of gravity; it's a singularity, and you can't reach the the center. Right. You can only ever approach it asymptotically and you're Words always going to be... reach the center. Yeah. It's, it's not going to happen. Yeah. It's like the best the words can do is to lead you to ultimate silence. Yeah. Like, like that statue of Mercury pointing up. Yeah. I had this past life flashback one time where uh where I was a shaman's uh well whatever they call the the one who keeps the runes the ones who the one who keeps the history in a particular tribe in viking I don't know pre-viking proto-viking something rather and um my father was teaching me the histories and teaching me you know to be literate and I had grown up you know drilling this stuff and I was supposed to keep the stories on behalf of it, you know, everyone in the village. And um, then I started writing my own stories and I got kicked out. And uh, so I was kind of had to rough it on my own and ended up getting adopted by a neighboring village, but not as, of course, the scribe, <laughs> just as the husband mm-hmm. of one of the daughters. <laughs> but it's kind of an interesting because it's you know then it's like okay well what is that was that a dream was that a was that a past life memory was that a story is it fiction yeah. is it um, something from the akashic record that I downloaded why was it so complete when I got it you know well and even within that story right you've got the you've got the you who wants to write your own story and you've got the tradition that wants you to write their story yeah and and there's this interaction between the two and that's that's precisely what you're talking about, right? Is is this really your story? Is it a story that's out of the the cultural consciousness, the collective right. unconscious? Yeah, the, you know something. Who, from my perspective, who cares? Yeah, it's what drives this forward, which is again sort of the theme of of the lost word. It's just this. It's all of these stories we are all striving for a way of defining this word, this purpose. And and for me, it's not the definition that matters. It's the it's the work and the passion that drives you to find the word. Yeah. Right? I mean that that's what that's what drives us forward. That's what keeps us seeking. It's why we sent there's a reference in the poem to you know sending a, a social networking message to the planet uh, to, to, to the to the uh, stellar system Gliess, right? Hmm. Um, you know, Bebo sent this message that will be arriving in probably I think it's another ten twenty years. It'll be arriving there. Why do that? Why 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 seek out? You know other lives and other civilizations to quote another mythology sorry um <laughs> why why do that well because we're we're we we desire you know it's it's uh 
it's Faust in, in Goethe's version of Faust, right? If I ever become complacent, he tells Mephistopheles, then you can take me. Hmm. You know, and that's that romantic ideal of, you know, it's it's the striving that matters. Yeah. Uh, Wednesday, I am at... Um, uh, uh, it's Fauché Temple. Is it? It's the actual... Yeah, yeah, it's Fauché Lodge. All right, let me get that one. Um, so I'll be talking about The Lost Word. I've got a, a slideshow... Uh, PowerPoint, whatever, where I've got images from some of the things that I reference, and I'm going to try to unpack some of it. It's going to be interesting because I've I've never um, talked about a poem that I haven't actually read beforehand right. to the attending people. Um, but Curtis kind of wanted me to, you know, just just talk about it as is and just jump into the discussion. So that should be interesting. <laughs> nice. So that's Culver City Fauché Lodge number 467 F and AM. And if you want to call them for more uh, specific information, their phone number is 424-276-0467. They are at 9635 Venice Boulevard in Culver City. And uh, we're going to be interviewing their organist. Um, actually, I've already interviewed him. He's going to be in episode 33. This is episode 32 we're currently uh, recording. I think it's, oh, he said meet and greet at 7.30, I believe. Wednesday, November 18th at that location, if you want to meet uh, Brian and hear more about poetry and uh, all that good stuff. And about this poem, specifically. It's the poem that that introduced Master Shoemaker to his lodge. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it's also um, uh, the poem that's been recorded by Clyde Breville, and his his reading is just extraordinary. Yeah, yeah, that's um, at the beginning of this episode. And it uh, it and it showed up in the the one of the uh, Masonic journals, uh, Philalethes. Um, I think it's volume sixty four, number nine, uh, no, number three, two thousand eleven. Nice. Um, so, so it's 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 made the rounds, and that's what I'll be talking about mostly. Um, the following day, at some point, I also have a uh, a, an, a, a straight up straight up poetry reading at um, uh, Cal Poly. Oh, that sounds like fun. Um, well, well thank you so much for having me on your show. Absolutely. Thank you very much for joining us on the Esoteric Nerd Podcast. And hopefully I will see you next Wednesday. I'm not 100% sure I'm going to be able to make it, but um, hopefully I'll see you there. All right. I would love to see you. All right. Thank, take care. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, Brian for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Curtis Shoemaker, for arranging this interview. Those of you who are inclined toward healing energy work for your fellow humankind uh, and or prayer work, I'm sure I, I don't need to tell you uh, that there are people who've lost their loved ones recently in Beirut and other places. So, take a moment of silence and send out our radiant 
love and compassion for those who have just crossed over and those who mourn. Thank you all for tuning in.